Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back into the Lions Seven Podcast. This is episode number two of Ohio State Game Week here. Finishing out October, Penn State trying to snap a two-game win streak, certainly face, facing a tall task to do that against the number five Buckeyes. Penn State heading to Columbus at number 20 in the AP Top 25, 7.30 kickoff. And Sean, here in Happy Valley, we are just a few hours away from getting back on the practice field. We'll have an opportunity to speak uh, with James Franklin once again after that practice session on a Wednesday evening. Be back with our predictions and some final thoughts this week on Thursday. But you and I, Sean, have spent a ton of time here the last couple episodes uh, piling on the, the, the numbers, the commentary on the Illinois and Penn State matchup. It's time to move on, though. We got Ohio State in the picture with... Patrick Murphy, who who does a great job covering Penn State or covering Ohio State for twenty four seven Sports, you'll hear from him uh, his thoughts on what's going right for for Ohio State. And there's a lot going right for the Buckeyes right now. Uh, but Sean, uh, a lot of Illinois. It's not going to be easy to focus in on Ohio State because that doesn't feel much better for Penn State fans right now. But you got to keep moving forward. There's no other way to go right now. Interesting that you got uh, you meant to say Ohio State and you said Penn State there. I guess that happens sometimes. <laughs> Sorry. Um, uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it's definitely moving forward, and, and you hope this team is continuing to do that after that uh, that uh, terrible terrible showing against Illinois over the weekend. But we got James Franklin on Tuesday. Um, you know, the, the a lot swirling right now, a lot of speculation. Of course, the LSU job, the USC job, his own status with Penn State. Uh, not that he's getting fired anytime soon, but you know, you you know that he, you, you've heard that he'd like to figure out his contract and get things going. And then it comes to light this week that that he hired Jimmy Sexton, um, eventually coming to light. And we said this in our chat before the the press conference, but it happened, um, you know, in the summer late summer or whatever um, it may be where he got rid of Trace Armstrong and moved to Jimmy Sexton. Just a bad, bad time for that to come to light. It's not quite the smoking gun that, that people thought it would be, um, but it's still a bad look for, for Franklin. And you can tell, I mean, you looked like, it looked like he had not slept since that Illinois game. He came out to his press conference. He was a bit rattled, um, just kind of not, not typically him. He's usually uh fine edge and, and figuring things out and he's dropping, a lot of obviouslys and you knows and and kind of stumbling through some of his answers and that's not him and, and you know we can talk um, and probably overplay calling Ohio State Illinois um, it happens I called Illinois Indiana twice last week I mean it's one of those things but at the same time you can you can look at him and and say that the focus um, is something worth questioning because it it did not look good for him. Yeah, I mean, we, we've talked a lot this year about, hey, James Franklin's back. I mean, he, he's all the way back and then some. This was a, a throwback to what we were seeing a little bit more in 2020 where the, the train of thought wasn't always there. Um, and, and you know, quite frankly, the, the body language and just the sound of his voice, you're right. I don't think sleep has been easy to come by probably lately for James Franklin. That's just trying to fix the football team. Then you throw in these other factors that are being juggled. There is a lot going on for him right now. And the quote when he was asked directly about committing to being Penn State's head coach beyond 2021, um, he said uh, he started off by saying, obviously, that question has come up a lot. And then he said, my focus is completely on Illinois. 
and this team and this program. I think I've shown over my eight years my commitment to this university and this community. That's kind of my statement. So there it is. Uh, and, and certainly if anyone was looking for him to say, I am here for life, you weren't going to hear that. And then if anyone wanted to hear him say, I am unequivocally going to be the head coach of the Nittany Lions in 2022, don't wait on that either. Um, but it's it's been a difficult path for him to tow that line. And it was a lot easier for him to tow that line when there was a zero in the loss column rather than a, a, a no number one and number two. And now the whole country thinks a third consecutive loss is coming up on Saturday night. We're a vote of confidence from Sandy Barber away from your uh, your coaching calamity bingo card there. So it's it's all over the place right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you look at what's happened in the past couple of weeks and um, I, I would assume his name. And I think I said this on the last podcast. I would assume his name is is not as hot as it was in, in some of those circles. You think that that his leverage with with Penn State and, um, you know, the fact that this has happened so many times continues to pop up. And that's not good for this. is Not a good time for him to come off of an Illinois loss uh, or any loss, really, but a particularly ugly Illinois loss to uh, to get what you want and figure out how this is going to move forward. And that's that's been a point of frustration on both sides, I think, for a long time. So. Um, it's, uh, if you asked me last week, is he staying? I said, yes. If you asked me last week, what's going to happen? I'm tell you, I flatly don't know because that's, uh, there's a lot, uh, a lot working out here with the athletic department, the old main, of course, there's a going to be a transition and university president and eventually a transition, the athletic director and donors and all this kind of stuff. And so many things at play here. Um, it's just, uh, it's a distraction that nobody needs. He, he was asked about that. Uh, yesterday on Tuesday, by the way, a lot of fair questions on Tuesday. Um, he admitted that he appreciated the questions and then would proceed to answer some, not answer some, what have you. Um, but uh, yeah, you can, you could really see there, there was some pressure mounting there. It feels like the walls are closing in a bit at last right now for this team on the field for Franklin uh, in, in terms of what his, you know, the next phase of his career looks like. Does that look like another decade at Penn state or does that look like a change of scenery with his daughters, you know, you know, they're still young enough where they can move and, and have an opportunity to grow up somewhere else. So there's a lot going on there, family dynamics. But let's get back to what we're talking about, Penn State football, because James Franklin, he's got to fix that first before he can get going elsewhere. Uh, and, and, and and I don't mean elsewhere by moving on to a campus, but moving on from this pressure packed week. You, a win will alleviate that. It looks like that's going to be hard to do on Saturday. But according to Franklin, they're going to have a 100 percent Sean Clifford. I just I don't. I don't see how it's possible, um, but James Franklin says that compared to where he was last week at this stage, and, and we heard from Franklin on Tuesday before their first full practice session, he says he's ahead of where he was during that Illinois week. That's good to hear, sure. Um, but again, beyond that one series where, where Clifford goes three for three, 87 yards, a touchdown, gets bailed out a bit by Jahan Dotson, there was just non-existent passing game for Penn State for the last seven quarters with Clifford on the field or not. Um, and if you throw in an inability for him to move, forget about it against Ohio State. 100% seems like uh, basically just impossible to me. But I guess the question is, can you get Clifford bumping up toward that where he realistically can take some shots, get up and make some plays? You can't go into this game and say Sean Clifford is a passing quarterback and that's all he is. I think 100% is is impossible. Yes, it's also kind of irrelevant here because of sure. the way that Franklin has handled this in the past. The 100% is kind of more of an earmark than than an actual progress report. Um, I think him saying that he's ahead of where he was last week is, is positive because he usually doesn't give that kind of insight. 
um, during during his his open media sessions. But uh, you know, if if you can get him and, and and be just a little bit further than he was last week, it puts you in a better spot. So I mean, they're not going out there to 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 run Roberson around or Vare or anything like that. Um, so you you have to rely on Clifford. Great great response uh, on Twitter this week. I, I don't have it in front of me, but just imagine how much changed with a completely legal hit at Iowa. How much everything changed with Penn state going from the quarterback, you get that ripple effect to the rest of the offense. Then, then it goes from the, the offense to the whole team, the team to the coaching staff, and then just everything going on. It's, it's incredible. The, the turnaround in the last, as you often say, seven quarters. So um, kind of ridiculous to think about that. I, I do think that we'll see. Um, I don't, I wouldn't want to say different, uh, different James Franklin uh, on at practice this, uh, this week, but it was just from talking to some people, so many things change when you get to the practice field that that weight kind of comes off and you can actually go back into your routine and get going and doing the stuff that you need to do um, to, to bounce back. So I, I do think he'll probably be a little bit more laid back tonight. Um, hopefully it doesn't, it doesn't come back and snap on anybody and make me look like an idiot. Uh, but uh, I, I think once you get those guys back into practice and get them back to where they need to be, I think it can go a long way in, in moving past this, this cloud from Tuesday because it flatly was not a good look. You're right. Um, if his team responded on the practice field, like they were ready to be back out there and, and they were ready to prepare for Ohio State. If they didn't respond in that way, then, then I can't imagine what kind of a James Franklin will encounter on Wednesday evening because we have seen him after wins where he was not happy with what Wednesday looked like on the practice field. And that is not a pretty situation. So uh, see, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's almost like so when I don't exercise, I'm a pain in the ass. I mean, just absolutely <laughs> pain. And even if I go out and get, you know, a, a half decent to not great workout and I still feel better about myself. So I, I think that's probably what you're looking at with Franklin, with some right. of these guys just to, to, to put all that stuff. Cause when you walk between those lines, you know, those, those rumors, they kind of dissipate. I mean, yes. I'm sure they don't completely go away, but they kind of dissipate. So you get out there, you get going and you get back into the flow of things. Um, yeah, you're right. He could certainly light some people up if they're not practicing as well, but that's also, probably a bit of a soothing thing for him to, 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 to actually talk about. I mean, we talked about it with the, during the pandemic, I mean, just so much focus on all that other stuff. And then mm -hmm. when we got to talk football, it was a nice reprieve. So I, I could see this week of practice being something that is, is a bit therapeutic for those guys. Yeah, you're back on the field with your guys, but and and there is something therapeutic about it. But there's also a lot of work to be done because schematically, what you've been doing offensively, I, I mean, if you're not getting a Sean Clifford, that's 100% legitimately, and you're not, you got it. You got to rework things in a very significant way. And if you don't plan on incorporating those two other quarterbacks, and I think based on what we saw last Saturday, they do not plan on doing that. Then you've got to get creative. You got to find ways to to. to I mean, whether it's mixed, let's get right into it. The offensive line. I mean, are you going to, how much creativity will we see there? How much desperation will we see there? Because James Franklin talking about that Tuesday, not committing to a starting center, certainly sounded like he was committing to both Mike Mennett and Juice Scrubs as starters. Miranda, but yeah. one guy's, I'm sorry, yes, Mike Miranda, one guy's going to be a center, one guy's going to be right guard. Now, this was Mennett's job for three years, and it was a spot at center where you had Miranda working on the right side of guard and then the left side of guard. This year, he takes over. He's been your starting center, but then he wasn't late in the game last week when this team couldn't manufacture much offensively, if anything. And Juice Scrubs was the guy snapping the football in overtimes. Miranda was to his right. You saw Bryce Efter involved, that left guard a little bit, but it was Eric Wilson there at the end. Typical two tackles, Rasheed Walker on the left side, Caden Wallace on the right. We did see Bryce Effner enter as a an extra tackle in overtime too. So a bit of a swing guy there, but 
Sean, something's got to change. And I don't know if they blow things up from a personnel standpoint, but it is so concerning that four days away from a trip to Columbus and seven games into the season, they're not quite sure which five they're rolling out, or at least the order in which they will be lined up against this Ohio State defense. And something's got to change, but we don't know what. I mean, that's the kind of the theme that you're, you're looking at that entire offense, but specifically up front. As I mentioned, I like having Scruggs in there, but that's probably more of a long-term play than it is just a quick fix. Um, maybe you get Miranda a, a little bit of an advantage playing him at guard where he's not having to snap and then um, figure out where his his arms need to go because you know with with the lack of length that he has it's gonna you know it's gonna be an issue for uh, for that so you could probably say the same thing about Eric Wilson as well um, that uh, interior of the Ohio State defensive line while it's not as I think great as we've come to expect over the last couple of years still some really good players in there Haskell Garrett's supposed to be back and he's got six tackles for loss this year from that defensive tackle spot and um, you just you just have a feeling and you know that uh, that the Ohio State defensive line is is going to be good um so yeah you you have plenty of questions and i don't think you have a ton of solutions you want to get bryce effner in there but how does that work i mean is he going to have to take over for for caden wallace who i think is is quite obviously banged up from just watching that back the other day um so i think it's uh i think it's a great question and it's an answer we can't give you because i don't think there's an obvious one staring you in the face and isn't this the matchup in recent years, whether Penn State entered this game on beaten and, and ranked in the top five or whether Penn State entered this one with question marks like they do this time. They exited the Ohio State matchup. And, and a lot of the conversation is when is the Nittany Lions offensive line going to be able to be truly competitive in this game? Because it's a tipping point thing. Now, we got to acknowledge your guy, Chase Young, played a huge role in that in a few matchups. But really, this is the matchup, I feel like, year in, year out, where you kind of parse through what went wrong. I mean, Justin Fields was lights out last year, but a lot of these games was Penn State's inability to run the football in a four-minute offensive situation late in games, or uh, in the case of going to Columbus a couple of years ago with, with a less-than-healthy Sean Clifford, they could not manufacture much on the ground until Will Levis came in, and they started doing uh, some things with him and Journey Brown during that second half. So they've been manhandled in, in, in different ways. They've been, uh, you know, It's been an out, athletics, uh, out athleticism in some spot as well, and I'm just making up terms now. But no matter how many terms you apply to it, it hasn't been a good result. And now you look at where Penn State is situated on the offensive front going into this matchup on the road. Man, it's really hard to, to reconcile with how this doesn't turn into an ugly situation for Penn State, especially if you don't have Sean Clifford, the creator, behind the line of scrimmage. Well, I think, number one, a lot of teams come out of the Ohio State game thinking that they're not as good up front as they will be. Um, and, and, you know, I just think it's a bad time. I mean, it's never a great time to play Ohio State, but given where you're at, sort of, I don't want to say free fall, free fall just yet, but given where you're at with the running game, you're you're going into a kind of a meat grinder there in Columbus. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be tough. They got to get creative. Um, and I don't know. And I, I think that's kind of the crux of the situation. How creative can you be with Sean Clifford if you can't move him around, if you can't scramble, if you can't run? It's been such a big part of his game. And, and Mark Brennan asked James Franklin about that this week. And, mm -hmm. and a coach never wants to admit that they're limited by, you know, putting not an injured guy, but putting a guy that's banged up or anything like that out there. Um, but, you know, he kind of flatly said, if Sean can't do that, if Sean can't do the things that he's best at, we can't run the offense to our full capability. And you know, I was thinking that this week, just looking at uh, how things have worked out, don't have a huge gripe with the play calling. And, and that doesn't really make a ton of sense given that they've the last seven quarters that they've played, there's been guys open. There's been yes. guys in positions to make plays and guys haven't been able to step up. And then you take Sean Clifford's uh, improvisational ability out or just the ability to run at all. 
um, you take that out of the game and, and that kind of messes the messes up the whole juju that the offense had going for them. So um, I, I don't know that it gets any easier this week, um, but you've got to figure out a way to, to get creative. You got to figure out a way to, um, you know, kind of have some guys take the next step. And I think that's what it comes down to is it's great when these guys can make the plays that are pretty good plays, but you're going to have to have some spe- spectacular efforts. And that's not just John Dotson going up and catching a ball over Sean Wade or whatever. It's Keandre Lambert Smith hitting a block on a, on a receiver screen that, you know, you, you get one guy out of the way and you've got some space. And that's really what they've been missing in the last couple of weeks is, is those little spark plays that, maybe happen close to the line of scrimmage and you can get going when teams have decided to play two safeties back with against Penn state, they've had success taking away the, um, the deep ball over top, but at the same time, Penn state hasn't capitalized that in the short passing game. And I think that's been an issue. And if you're trying to, to keep Clifford clean, if you're trying to keep him uh, upright, get the ball out of his hand as quick as possible. And, you know, the tight ends are not, so excuse me, the tight ends are certainly in fault here. The running game, whatever. I mean, we're, we're pat, kind of past talking about that because it's been so bad. Um, but at, at some point, these players need to go from from making the plays that they're expected to make to to going above and beyond and, and getting it done. Well, that's the biggest, uh, that's the elephant in the room that's that's become, we're so used to seeing the elephant in the room, we don't even talk about it anymore, is the fact that they can't generate anything on the ground. And James Franklin said, hey, what we want to do is take the pressure off the quarterback if he's not if he's not at 100%. And if, he, if we can't lean on him as a runner, you got to take the pressure off the quarterback, put it on your ground game, and, and then let that prop your quarterback up. And he said, instead, swung the other way, and the game fell in the quarterback's lap. And this was a day where Sean Clifford has proven very capable of getting to the finish line with a victory and a, a big pile of points for this Penn State offense, but he did not have it in him on Saturday, and, and we saw that pain was most definitely a factor along the way. Um, and I think that the troubling issue with offensive line right now, Sean, is while we discuss the lack of depth at quarterback and we say who the heck else could come in and play, there's not a lot of names right now where you say Phil Troutwine's totally comfortable playing that guy, clearly. Because, you know, they, they got Des Holmes involved a little bit at times. They, they started the season with Anthony Wigan at left guard. Um, the big one here that, that James Franklin mentioned on Tuesday, and you reported this back in September, Salim Wormley had a grip on that starting job uh, at guard coming out of preseason camp or going through preseason camp, I should say. Lost for the season because of an injury. He's going to be a name to know when he comes back next year. But that's significant, and and Franklin kind of peeled back the curtain a little bit because he was directly asked about Wormley yesterday and said, you know, he was viewed as a starter, and when you lose a guy that you view as a starter, that's going to be uh, an issue. And then you, what did you do last year? Aside from bringing in Eric Wilson, you brought in two freshmen, Landon Tengwall, who didn't get to play as a senior in high school. I don't know how that impacted it, him uh, in his transition, but we haven't heard much about him getting on the field this year. We haven't seen it. And then Nate Bruce, four-star guard out of Harrisburg, he's not even with you a couple months into his college career. So again, uh, where are the solutions? And, and I know people want to see some of these guys yanked off the field. Who are you putting out there? Um, and are they ready to go play against the Buckeyes? Yeah, it's, it's Bryce Efner right now. And that's, um, you know, not a, I don't want to disrespect Bryce Efner or anything, but it's, it's not a guy that's been a rotational player. It's not a guy that's been a, a big part of their, uh, their first six or first seven over his career. And also on top of that, you saw this in the overtime, they brought Bryce Efner in essentially as a tight end, a six offensive yeah. lineman. And when you do that, you take some of your weapons away. And that's, that's kind of the crux of the issue is if you're trying that hard 
to get some push. You're trying that hard to, to do that with an with your offensive line. It's going to take away from the, the number of options that you have. And you've got a quarterback that's that needs a bunch of options to, to be effective. So, um, you know, it's kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. But they've been pretty well damned over the last couple of weeks. Well, then you said it. I mean, the play calling there, they have schemed guys open. There have been guys striding down the field where if you get them the ball, there's a bunch of, t- I mean, there are, there's a few opportunities where you're getting 40 to 50 yard gains, a few touchdowns along the way. Remember one touchdown in the last seven quarters. So that's a huge thing when you're talking about three point loss and a two point loss, those have been there, but I mean, you could give Mike Yersich's offense as wonderful as it is to my high school team. And it would look like a circus and they might not score a single point. You've got to factor in your personnel. And right now the trigger man is the most important thing there. You've got these weapons. We've talked about them, whether they've lived up to that billing or not position by position. If the trigger man can't get the ball to them in space, I know we've seen some drops, but there have been a lot of brutal misses by Taquan Roberson at Iowa. And then on characteristically this season, Sean Clifford last Saturday, where you connect on one or two of those, you're probably not going overtime. Well, I mean, we talked about it this week. You connect with Brenton Strange in the first uh, in the Iowa game. You connect with Theo Johnson in the Illinois game. And I, I don't want I don't want people to think we're, we're letting your such off the hook because that's your job as a whatever million a year coordinator that you are, that you have to make do with your personnel and figure out the best way to get it done. Um, and that's really that's the criticism that that's kind of the crux of the criticism with the Illinois game is that you had obviously the better team and could not get away and could not really do anything against that defense. And that's that's the troubling part. But uh, but again, some good play calls and, and it's execution. It is, uh, you know, it's 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 on both ends, I think, there and really don't see a ton of confidence in this offense on, on either side. We are going to shift our attention now to Ohio State because, uh, again, another tremendous matchup, a tremendous test uh, taking place in Columbus where Penn State enters this one struggling, sputtering Ohio State from the opposite end of the spectrum. Here is Patrick Murphy joining us uh, for a conversation on these Buckeyes. All right, we're going to break down these Buckeyes a bit more right now with Patrick Murphy from 24-7 Sports, Ohio State site, Bucknuts. Uh, You heard from him last year during the 2020 season, that matchup occurring earlier on the schedule, just about the same time, though, uh, on the actual calendar. And and Patrick, these are two programs moving in different directions. We talked a lot about it from a Penn State perspective uh, the last couple of weeks. Ohio State right now, how are they playing compared to where they were week one? It's been a night and day difference. If you look at the game last week against Indiana, even the last couple games in comparison to even the win against Minnesota week one, but obviously the loss to Oregon in week two. I mean, it's it's hard to fathom that that was the same team even, even though it was only six, seven weeks ago, especially defensively. Ohio State's offense has has been good all year, You know, statistically one of the best in the country despite losing Justin Fields bringing in some new running backs, things like that. But defensively is where things have really changed the most. After that loss to Oregon, Ryan Day really did some soul searching within the staff. Didn't make any you know, very public changes, but did move some pieces around. Kerry Combs, who's the defensive coordinator and was calling the plays, is no longer handling that side of his responsibilities. That went to Matt Barnes, in the sec- who was a secondary coach. And, you know, they're still working collaboratively. It's still very much a team effort as a defensive staff, but it's clear that those changes have made a big difference. The question is, and, and everyone in Columbus is kind of waiting for an answer here, when they face an opponent that can you know, match them like for like um, offensively to defense, how will that work? Will this defense be able to, to hold up 
Um, will the changes schematically and with the coaching staff work? So that's been the biggest change. But I mean, the Buckeyes are are right now rolling. I mean, they've won, I think, the last three or four games, an average of 47 and a half points or something like that margin of victory. So it hasn't been the toughest of, of, of opponents. I mean, it's t- uh, Akron, Rutgers, Maryland, and, and a depleted Indiana team. So this will certainly be a bigger challenge, but they're, they're definitely, they've definitely got some momentum behind them at this point. Patrick, how's this team feeling in terms of, of confidence? Because you mentioned the momentum that they have, but they've yeah. been throttling teams, absolutely dominating. Um, and now you see what Penn State went through last weekend, and, and you think that Ohio State's on a pretty good path right now. Of course, Michigan, Michigan State's still out there on the schedule as well. But where's this team at? Um, you know, there, there was it seemed like there was quite a bit of disarray, especially after that Oregon loss. Um, but where's this team at right now in terms of, uh, I guess, eyes on the prize type things? Yeah, I think they're feeling it. I really do. Um, now, whether that will continue against the second half of the schedule, you mentioned the teams that, that Ohio State still has to face as well, starting this week against Penn State. We, we'll see. But the offense feels really good. C.J. Stroud was, was good the first three weeks of the season. The quarterback who replaced Justin Fields, a bit, a bit inconsistent, had an interception in each game, obviously lost the Oregon game. Uh, took a week off, which is rare to see in college football. Ryan Day, he was dealing with a shoulder injury. CJ Stroud was, and Ryan Day gave him the week off against Akron, let them see some of the backups go to work. And since he's come back, I don't know if it's the shoulder just got that much healthier during that that weekend off, or if he needed just to kind of reevaluate things mentally, but he's playing at a potentially a Heisman Trophy level with with the numbers he's put up the last three games or so, over a thousand yards, 14 touchdowns, no interceptions. Travion Henderson has really gotten going at running back, the true freshman. He's taken over as the starter. The offensive line has played well all year, and these receivers are among uh, the best group in the country. So there is a lot of confidence on that side of the ball, and I think the defense is building to that level. Um, There's a lot of young guys that were getting playing time, and especially early on, they were really rotating guys in. It didn't seem like they were set at a lot of positions, linebackers in particular. And so these last few weeks, it seems they settled on some of the guys, a lot of them fairly inexperienced coming into the year. And those guys have started to make plays. And I think as you see the plays happen, you see that you can do it, you get that confidence. So to me, that's that's building. I don't think it's quite where the offense is just because it's still a, a younger group, so to speak. But I do think it's it's starting to get there. And this team in general is starting to look like the Ohio State teams we've seen the last several years where you know, they're, they're handling their business against the teams that they're supposed to. But again, and, and Ryan Day keeps coming back to this. The players keep coming back to this. You know, they, they haven't really been tested other than that Oregon game. And obviously that didn't go well. So I think Ryan Day said about 12 times the last two weeks, you know, we haven't won anything yet. And, and, and that's clearly been a message, not only to the media, but to the players as well. Well, I would imagine that in Columbus, they were viewing this October 30th game much differently two weeks ago, three weeks ago, just like we were viewing it much differently. At that point, Ohio State was trailing Penn State in national rankings and uh, now number 20 Nittany Lions facing the number five Buckeyes. What is kind of the impression of the impact of this game, the importance of this game? Are there people at this point essentially writing off Penn State as a challenge in this game? And can you kind of measure up? that versus where it was, let's say, before the Iowa matchup for Penn State, how this was viewed in Columbus? This was my question when we we met with uh, Ryan Day and a few of the players yesterday. It was just, you know, why is Penn State still a big challenge? Because I do think that there is, at least nationally, um, among fans and viewers of college football, that this game kind of lost some of its luster with, with the last few couple losses for Penn State. 
But within the program, this is still being viewed as the biggest game of the year thus far. Uh, you know, obviously the Michigan game at the end of the season is, is always the, the circled game. But Penn State's been there uh, as well. And, you know, Ryan Day and some of the players said yesterday that Penn State's been the team that's, that's been the toughest for Ohio State. It's always been a challenge, regardless of whether it's been in Columbus, been in uh, College Station. It's, it's you know, just, just been difficult. And obviously Penn State has, has knocked the Buckeyes off. They've won the Big Ten. And, and so in terms of challenges, I think Ohio State internally certainly views this as we have to get through this game. Uh, they expect, I think Ryan Day called the dog fight yesterday on Saturday night. Um, you know, I think even with the losses, I think that they are almost are concerned that that makes Penn State a little bit more difficult given the, uh, you know, hungry nature of the Nittany Lions. Um, in terms of the fan base, I think most people who pay close attention realize that, you know, it's been two two close losses for Penn State in the Iowa game. I think people understood. Maybe last week was a bit more head scratching, but with that overtime rule, it's 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 weird how how that worked out. Um, so I think the people that, that really pay attention know that this will still be a challenge for Ohio State. Maybe the the more casual fans look at the rankings and think, "Oh, I thought this was going to be a big game," but I still think you know ranked versus ranked, Ohio State's only seen one of those this year. So I still think it's a it's a big game. But definitely within the program, this is being considered the biggest challenge thus far. Patrick, from an observer standpoint, how absurd is it that C.J. Stroud playing at a fringe Heisman level and the fans almost have him looking over his shoulder? Because, um, I mean, there's a lot calling for him. And Kyle McCord, of course, a Philly kid, uh, came in and started the Akron game. But there's a lot of yeah. people barking for his job. How, how high is the, that standard right there at quarterback? And, and just kind of how ridiculous is that whole thing? You, you hit it on the head with with the standard and and just the ridiculous um, opinions of the fans. I think it was it was hard to especially you know there's some of it on our message board, some of it on social media, even people I talked to locally. Those first three games, you know, I don't know if Stroud's the guy, and it's like, well, yeah, he threw a couple interceptions, three interceptions, but he was still. I mean, he had four touchdowns in his first game. It wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but the kid had never thrown a college pass. He only played, I think, eight snaps last year. So I, it was like, let's calm down a little bit. You know, Justin Fields came in and started as a second-year player as well, but he also played at Georgia, played in an SEC championship game. Dwayne Haskins sat uh, behind uh, JT Barrett for two years. So there, there's a, there was a reason behind C.J. Stroud's struggles early in the year. And like I said, after he's, he's rested that shoulder, he's been remarkable. And, and those cries have really quieted down. I haven't seen anything about Kyle McCord or, or Jack Miller um, Quinn Ewers is, is also in that quarterback room, um, but but he's he's a guy that seems very poised for a redshirt year. So I think that's very much quieted down. And, and not to mention that while Kyle McCord and Jack Miller both played well against Akron, neither of them came out and lit it up. You know, it'd be one thing if, if Kyle had been near perfect in that game. And now maybe you do have some questions, but he was good. But it was also Akron. And, you know, it wasn't perfect. You could see that he also was making some mistakes as a true freshman coming in and playing for the first time. Same for Jack Miller, who, who took over most of the second half. So I think CJ Stroud has proven that he's the guy. And a lot of that talk, which, which was certainly a bit premature, a bit ridiculous early on, has uh, quieted down as well. You guys remember four years ago, September 2017, Micah Parsons and many others calling for Ohio State to bench JT Barrett uh, and put in Dwayne Haskins uh, against Oklahoma. Yeah. Of course, we saw what JT Barrett did to finish that season for Ohio State. But yeah, there's always a conversation about the next guy because 
you know, Joe Burrow was once the next guy. It's it's been quite the quite the story for the Buckeyes. Meanwhile, right. here we spent a lot of time digging around that quarterback depth chart for solutions at Penn State. It looks like it's going to be Sean Clifford. Uh, James Franklin said it on Tuesday, Patrick, I'm sure you saw you caught this, but 100% Sean Clifford. I don't know how that's possible considering last time we saw the young man, he was wincing, walking off the football field. But Ohio State's defense versus Sean Clifford, if he is not mobile, how bad could this get? What do the Buckeyes do bringing speed off the edge and, and blitzing? Real quick, Micah Parsons story for you because I think <laughs> this is funny. Uh, when he was here visiting – they had college game day. I don't, it, it may have even been the Penn state game um, during, I think it was his senior year, but he had gone up on stage and talked to Kirk Herbstreet and, and the staff. And I tweeted something out about it just because I was, I was there and we were allowed sort of on the set. And so I get crap from a lot of the Ohio state beat that I'm the reason that he got Ohio state in trouble and uh, didn't come to Ohio state, which is not true, but uh, you know, just every once in a while that comes up and, and guys rag on me a little bit, but uh to answer your send, question, send Patrick Murphy Flowers. Uh, his his Twitter handle go. is right here if you feel the need. Uh, <laughs> my, my All American linebacker at Penn State, Micah Parsons. Yeah, he was a good one and, and still is for what the Cowboys, I think. Um, nice. But uh, anyway, to answer your question about Sean Clifford, I think this will be interesting because Ohio State's defensive line and secondary were, were certainly, well, the whole defense really, the linebackers as well, were, were definitely a question coming of the year. As we mentioned, it didn't start off well. And the defensive line was the was one of the strangest parts because it was a lot. It's a lot of veteran guys. They played well last year, but didn't have the numbers. And they talked all the, the you know Zach Harrison, um, Haskell Garrett. The, these guys talked all offseason. Tyreek Smith about wanting to get the the sacks, wanting to get the tackles for a loss, all that. And it wasn't happening early in the year. And, and they were still getting some pressure and and whatnot. And there were plays here and there, but the numbers weren't there. And over the last few weeks, they've really started to get to the quarterback, uh, 14 tackles for a loss against Indiana, I think five sacks. So the production has started to go up. But again, what 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 have they faced in terms of offenses, offensive lines? It's It's been you know some of the bottom teams in the Big Ten and Akron. Um, so I think that's going to be an interesting challenge. Obviously, a beat up Sean Clifford, if, if he's not, as James Franklin said, 100%, um, will we'll want to avoid those guys. And then in the secondary, how Sean Clifford can can um, you know maybe expose Ohio State's weaknesses. I think the biggest thing that the Buckeyes have struggled with is passes over the middle or passes that originate with players coming over the middle. The outside cornerbacks have actually played played pretty well. Freshman Denzel Burke has been very good. Seven Banks and Cameron Brown have been serviceable. Um, probably not as good as people hoped, and they've had some other guys playing there too. But the linebackers and coverage, the safeties have not been great. Teams have been able to hit the Buckeyes over the middle. So I, I think it will be very interesting to see what Sean Clifford is able to do. And then that will also, you know, maybe tell us a little bit more about this Ohio State defense that's been, you know, just inconsistent when playing better teams. Um, you know, even Minnesota, once uh, they lost their running back, was able to, to move the ball down the field through the passing game. So it, I'll be very interested to see that. But yeah, I, I hope for the sake of covering this team and, and kind of getting a better feel for the defense that Sean Clifford is ready to go and can actually, you know, test the Buckeyes and we can really see where this defense has come. Patrick, Trevion Henderson, probably my favorite back that I've scouted in the last five years. He might be better than than advertised as a five-star prospect last year. Um, what has he done to make him so special? What does he have to run behind? And 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 how do you think, um, you know, Ohio State can take what they saw from Illinois last week and who just overpowered Penn State in the running game and make that effective for, for the freshman back? 
Yeah, we were uh, we were driving to to Indiana last Saturday, and we stopped at the hotel and had the Penn State Illinois game on, and they had on the screen that that I think Illinois this was in the third quarter, maybe early fourth quarter, something like that. They had 300 rushing yards, and I I just thought, oh God, like Travion Henderson, as you said, has has just been so good. Um, the the biggest thing for him was getting settled in the college game. He didn't play a senior year of high school because of uh, the rules in in Virginia with with the COVID stuff. So it was it was getting here, getting comfortable, which didn't take long. But that opening game against Minnesota, he was the fourth running back to play in the game, and it was in the first half. They got guys in there early, but still the fourth guy off the bench. He quickly worked his way up the depth chart, was a starter by the third game, and he's a special player, as you said. Uh, he sees the field well. He's got the ability to to make guys miss. He's got the speed. You know, he's had had some big plays. He can be involved in the passing game. His pass protection is better than I expected it to be for a, a freshman, especially a guy who didn't play last year. So, you know, all around very, very good back. Um, as you might expect from the number one running back in the country coming out of high school. But you mentioned the offensive line that he plays behind has, has really helped things. This is probably as good of as, a, as an offensive line as Ohio State's had in some time. Uh, they moved guys around to get the best five on the field. Thayer Munford, who was the left tackle last year and, and played at an all Big Ten level, uh, moved to left guard so that they could get Dewan Jones at right tackle, moved Nicholas Petit Frere to left tackle. Another tackle in Paris Johnson, who was highly recruited, is playing right guard. Um, and then at center, it was supposed to be Harry Miller. He was out the first several weeks of the season, and, and they drop in redshirt freshman Luke Whipler who has been better than expected, I think, for, for most people. So the offensive line has been huge for, for Travion. But I also think he, he's just a special kid. You know, I think you look around college football. Um, sometimes you just see this, you know, the Bijan Robinsons, Travion Henderson. That there, there's a handful of these guys that just have, you know, it and whatever that is. And, and he certainly does. And, you know, he's, he's going to be a problem for any defense. But I think definitely he'll be looking at what happened last week against Illinois and kind of licking his chops. He hasn't had, except for one game um, this year, he hasn't had, you know, the 10, 15, 20 carries. Uh, he did against, I think it was Tulsa, and ran for 270 yards and three touchdowns. So when he gets the workload, uh, he certainly can can put up the numbers. And you know, if this game is uh, is remains close and and they keep the starters in as I think everyone expects, I I imagine he will have a big day. Sean took every opportunity at every point of the recruitment to bring up Travion Henderson on this podcast. Yeah. It, it was like I'm just, Fair enough. we were professing this love a long Tra- time. Travion Henderson time. and Caleb Williams would have been <laughs> quite a duo, right? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. It certainly would have been. Um, by the way, Henderson averaging almost nine yards per carry, 14 total touchdowns for the Buckeyes. Just an, an incredible start to his career. I mean, I, I just go through the stat sheet here, and, I, and I'm reminded of the receiver situation that, you know, yes, the freshman phenom at running back, but Penn State's got to deal with these wide receivers. You know, maybe the most consistent part of Penn State overall this year has been their defensive backfield, but three guys right now over 500 receiving yards. You throw in the tight end, Jeremy Ruckert, who's been an issue for Penn State in the past. He has three touchdowns this year. Those four, the top three wide receivers, Ruckert in there. What's Penn State's best potential method at at least creating some issues for the for the Ohio State passing game. We probably don't have to worry about Ruckert. He had two touchdowns against Indiana. Usually he's only good for one of those a year. So um, they'll they'll probably completely neglect to uh to throw <laughs> to him in this game, I imagine. But it's it's an ongoing joke at Ohio State about you know using tight ends in the passing game because they hardly ever do it. But the receivers, I, I've been asked this each of the last few weeks about, you know, how do you stop this passing attack? And 
And I honestly don't have a great answer. Um, you know, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Jackson Smith, and Jigbar are the three who are receivers who who are on the field the most. And it's almost a, a pick your poison. And, you know, you throw Travion Henderson in there because, like I said, he can get involved in the passing game and has had some big plays that way as well. You know, if you shut down one guy, uh, other guys tend to beat teams. And, and that's been an issue. We, we saw a game earlier this year where Chris Olave had no catches. Garrett Wilson had a big day. Jackson Smith and Jigba has gone over 100 yards twice this year. So I, I, I honestly think the best defense we've seen was what I think it was Tulsa just dropped eight. And that was the game that Travion Henderson went off for 270 yards, but the passing game really took some time to get going. And the, you know, they were just careful. Now Ohio state hasn't played the cornerbacks that the Penn state had, as you said. So I do think it'll be interesting to see who covers whom and you know, how that matchup works. But, you know, again, with three arguably of the top 25, maybe wide receivers in the country, Jackson Smith and Jigba may be on the outside of that number, but he's certainly climbing his way up. Um, you know, it's, it's definitely tough. And if they do get Ruckert going, you know, he's a guy who, who can get open. We, you saw it last year in this game. He did it in the college football playoff. Um, it's just a matter of whether or not they, they, they want to use him in that game. So yeah, it's tough. I, I don't envy any defensive coordinator trying to figure out how to shut down this passing attack, especially now that CJ Stroud is playing the way that he is, you know, early in the year. I think teams thought they could confuse him, and they did that sometimes, but he seems to be reading the field really well and making good throws. Two receiver questions for you, Pat. Who's, sure. the, best in, who's the best in that room? Who's the most talented guy in that room? I think that's. I think th there's two different answers there. I think Chris Olave is the best receiver, and Garrett Wilson is the most talented. Uh, Chris Olave, I think, has, has just worked so hard on his game uh, over his four years at Ohio State that – He's, he's turned himself into a top receiver, and it, it really really wasn't fair, his his recruiting ranking coming out of high school. He was out in California, Jack Tuttle, the quarterback in Indiana. Ryan Day went out to recruit him, and uh, they were like, hey, you should take a look at this receiver. CJ Stroud was a three-star guy, but because of transferring, didn't play his junior year, so guys missed a lot of tape in terms of the evaluation. So I assume he would have been rated higher, but because of that, he was kind of an under-the-radar guy even his freshman year when he came in after there was another player who got injured, he looked good, had a big game against Michigan, but I don't think people really thought he was going to be what he's become. You know, he's now tied for second all time in touchdown receptions in Ohio state history, just four off the record of David Boston. So really put together a great career. I think he'll be a very good NFL wide receiver next year, but Garrett Wilson, I mean, five-star kid was, was being recruited by, you know, everybody in the country. And, and I think he's the most like naturally talented and, and not to say that he doesn't work hard because he definitely does. And, you know, it's, it, you've seen him get better each season, but I think he just probably had more natural gifts coming in speed, strength, those type of things. Um, and, and obviously he has gotten better, but I think they, they both kind of answered different questions there. Yeah, Brian Hartline's done a heck of a job. You got Smith and yeah. Jigba, who's really, really talented. Emeka, who's awesome. Geez, Scott, Marvin Harrison. And then because we're a Pennsylvania institution in this sure. podcast, yep. what happened to Julian Fleming? And where where is he at in his career? And is it worth, I mean, is he going to be able to salvage a career with, with Ohio State? I anticipated this question coming. Um, I you're smart. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it's it's been an interesting year and a half with, with Julian Fleming. He came in and had shoulder issues that I guess went back all the way to, to high school. Um, and, and for anyone who's not familiar, you know, his high school ran wing T offense. He put up big numbers, but it wasn't a pass heavy 
type of offense where he had to know a lot of routes. So I think the combination of the shoulder issue, which bugged him all of last year, he had wore a brace on his shoulder throughout the season. He told us earlier this year that he couldn't lift his arm above like, you know, 90 degrees, which as a receiver makes it hard to catch balls. I, I imagine. Um, so that was a big thing last season. And then he had off season surgery, got healthy. He's told us earlier this year that this is the best he's felt playing football since early on in high school. But given that Ohio state wasn't in um, some of those blowouts early in this year, he didn't see a lot of time. And then he's been dealing with some nagging injuries, it sounds like. And, and Ohio State's really kind of hush-hush about injuries. And we, we get a status report the day of the game, and it just says whether a guy's unavailable or a game-time decision. And Ryan Day doesn't like to talk much more beyond that. But he did You're say way ahead week, of us. You're way ahead so, of us. Well, well good. I feel, I feel good about that then. Uh, the Oregon guys, when I talked to them, knew all sorts of injuries that were happening. <laughs> um, but uh, Ryan Day did and, say and this And they week still that won. Joe, That's amazing. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, Ryan Day said this week that Julian Fleming was he because he was it at Indiana but didn't play despite Ohio State winning big and, and a number of those receivers getting in. He said that he was there in an emergency capacity. They were letting him get a little bit healthier. He's expected to practice this week. He should be available and ready to play. So he's a guy that I think if if they can get him on the field, he certainly has the talent. Um, I do think the numbers coming out of high school kind of inflated his ranking a little bit. And Dave Biddle and I have talked about this quite a bit. You know, you mentioned Jackson Smith and Jigba. Like, it seems like a guy like that probably should have been ranked higher than he was. And maybe Julian Fleming a little bit down, just given what what kind of offenses they were in and, and whatnot. But um, I still think Julian Fleming has, has a future here. Chris Olave is going to be gone after this year. Garrett Wilson probably will leave after this year. So he seems to be liking Ohio State and being patient. Uh, with the process, but you know, I, with the transfer portal and and the way it is, you never know with with some of these guys who were so highly recruited and didn't get on the field early. But it does sound like he's coming along, and and I would imagine if there's a a blowout later in the season, if he's healthy, he certainly gets on the field as we've seen with Emeka Buka and Marvin Harrison Jr. Um, from glamour spots and a and a great juicy question thrown your way by Fitz to this: What do we need to know about the Ohio State special teams play? their return men, their ability to, to convert field goals, punt the ball. Um, I'm not sure how much special teams will ultimately be a tipping point in this one, but it's good to know. Yeah, the the kicking and punting game hasn't really done much for Ohio State so far this year. No Ruggles, uh, the kicker, transferred from UNC. He's perfect on the year, but I think he's only attempted seven field goals. So, you know, not, not a ton of – not a great sample size there, and, and the Buckeyes don't punt a lot. Um, so, you know, they've been good, but I, there's just not a lot to, to base it off of. Um, this will probably, this in the Oregon game will probably be when these guys are used the most. Um, I don't think Ruggles kicked a field goal in that Oregon game. I think they just had, cause they scored 28. So yeah, he didn't kick a field goal, but, um, in terms of the return game, it's, it's an interesting thing with Ohio state because they haven't had a kick or punt return touchdown in years i'd have to check when it was um but that that's been a bit if there's an area of contention these last several years for the buckeye fan base it's been you know why don't we have a guy that can can do this and then uh uh they had a receiver uh jameson williams transfer to alabama this offseason and i think he's returned three punts for touchdowns so uh that's come up quite a bit on on our message boards but garrett wilson Agmeka Buka are the guys that, that are back there. Um, Garrett Wilson's on the punt return, I believe. 
Uh, yeah, and uh, Igmeka Igbuka does the kick returns. Igbuka has brought a couple close, has has been close a couple times to taking it to the house. He had a 67-yard return earlier this year and a 40-ish, I think, return against Indiana last week. So he's a guy that, you know, you like what you see from that. Garrett Wilson hasn't done a ton with punt returns, but with the way that, you know, the fair catch rules and stuff are now, he's fair catching more often than he's actually doing anything. So it will be interesting to see, especially if this is a tight game, if, if uh, you know, a Mekagbuka return maybe sparks something, um, you know, last week or a few weeks ago when he had the 67-yard return, it was, the game was still close. And then, you know, Ohio State had that and, and went down and scored very easily after that. So uh, certainly can change a game, but hasn't been kind of a, you know, a, a game breaker for Ohio State regardless this year. Yeah, maybe don't hold your breath on the kickoff return thing. Jordan Stout's essentially nullified right. opposing return men uh, throughout this season. Last question for you. It's the one you certainly were expecting. What do you think about the outcome of this one? Um, do you see it getting out of hand as people are beginning to kind of pile up those sorts of predictions? Or do you see Penn State making this a little bit closer? I know you're not picking an upset win. What do you got for us? Yeah, I definitely think this will be a, a good game. Um, you know, I just – like like the the coaches and players were saying, regardless of what's happened, this game has has been close. You know, there's been the comebacks by Ohio State. Um, you know, obviously the upset. I mean, it's very rarely in the last several years been been a, any sort of blowout. Uh, so I don't expect that. You know, maybe Ohio State pulls away in the fourth quarter or something like that. I do think the Buckeyes will win, given it's at home. Ohio State fans are really excited to finally play Penn State at home at night. They've, they've been upset the last several years that that game has been on Fox and often been either a noon or 3.30 kickoff here, whereas it seems every time we end up at uh, Beaver Stadium, it's a night game and a whiteout. So uh, they're glad that that'll be the case. I think the atmosphere will be great. So I do think Ohio State will win, but I do think this will be a game. Um, you know, I, I think Ohio State will be challenged. Like I said earlier, I'm really interested to see how the defense holds up against, uh, you know, the probably the best offense they've faced all year and how these schematic changes and personnel changes and things have helped. Uh, I do think Penn state will be able to hit on some things. And I do think, like I said earlier, that the Nittany Lions will be hungry, you know, coming off that win or that loss last week. I can't imagine it's been a fun week at practice. And I think getting out there and playing will, will be a big part of kind of putting that behind them. So uh, I haven't done a score prediction yet. I don't know if you need one of those for me, but uh I do think it'll be a, a relatively close game um, and maybe Ohio State pulls away to make it look worse than it is late. But, you know, I, it wouldn't surprise me if this is certainly, um, you know, Penn, Penn State covers the, the spread in terms of that one. You've been hearing from Patrick Murphy. He does a fantastic job covering Ohio State for 24-7 sports with Bucknuts. Patrick, we'll talk to you soon. I know I'm going to return the favor uh, with some content going in your direction. So we'll catch up real soon. But thanks again for joining us here on our podcast. Absolutely, guys. It was fun. I appreciate Patrick and, and Sean coming off of that conversation and based on the one that preceded it, where we were talking about Penn state, I feel like Columbus is bizarro world right now to state college, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Yeah. You look at the standard that they've put forth at a bunch of positions and, you know, even just talking about that, that receiver room and the quarterback room. And um, it's, it, it shows when you, when you recruit like they have recruited over the last couple of cycles and didn't really miss a beat after Meyer left and Ryan day took over uh, kind of what the standard is, is with that, uh, with that entire program. And it's interesting. Uh, last week we talked about uh, potential blowouts here against Illinois. You and I were on that side and, and, and actually, actually Jeremy Werner was on that side as well. Patrick Murphy thinks it's going to be a decently close game. And I, I I'll honestly probably disagree with him. It's at, at that point, but uh, it's uh, 
I think he makes some valid points about how Penn State can potentially get stuff done, but that's obviously a best-case scenario for Penn State. If that didn't get you excited enough for, for Sean Fitz's prediction upcoming on Thursday's episode, stick around, hear what he sees for Ohio State versus Penn State. we got to get to our five-star mailbag now before we get to our third episode of the, of the week on Thursday. Sean, let's finish with this. With Penn State's offense badly in need of a spark, is there a player or players who you feel should be involved more moving forward? And isn't that the question right now? That is the question right now. Parker Washington's my guy. Um, just in terms of where you need this offense to be, you don't need it to put up 40 points, but you need to get that defense rested on the sideline. They've, they've played so many plays over the past couple of weeks. Parker Washington can be that guy. Um, and I thought this before we talked to Patrick Murphy, who who said that Ohio State can be vulnerable across the middle. Um, so you think those tight ends and Parker Washington could play a bigger role. Um, but, uh, you know, the three catches for 17 yards or whatever it's been for him this season or the last couple of weeks, it's just not really getting it done. And, and we know he's a talented guy. We know he's a, a guy that can really do a lot of things, probably underrated in the aspect that he could be a big play threat. Um, but I don't think that that really we've seen the best of, of Parker Washington. And I think for a team that's just looking to move the sticks and get something going and get some confidence, I think he could be a big, big cog if, in, in terms of what they're trying to do. Yeah, I mean, I've mentioned this before, and it's it's kind of a peculiar answer. I'm going to say Jahan Dotson um, because that has been to me really just a huge issue since this quarterback uh, change and, and 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 Clifford's health being an issue. Jahan Dotson in the last seven quarters since that Clifford injury um, that I keep going back to. 21 targets based on the official stat sheets here from the Iowa game and the Illinois game, 21 targets over that span um, and, and only eight receptions on those 21 targets for 75 total yards, no touchdowns. Um, and about half those yards, Sean, came on a heave from Sean Clifford that was like an arm punt. So you think about that play he makes, he doesn't make, doesn't come up with that. That's probably an interception and he's probably got 30 yards, but he made the play and John Dotson makes those plays. And if you have a chance at Ohio state to make this one compelling down the stretch, Jahan Dotson is going to need to be a, a major factor. KJ Hamler was not a couple of years ago in this matchup. I, I think there was some injury in play with KJ, if I recall correctly, right. but on a day where they didn't have Sean Clifford nearly uh, good enough to where he needed to be physically, KJ Hamler wasn't productive enough. He wasn't available enough. So Jahan Dotson to me, it's got to be a lot of stuff near the line of scrimmage, behind the line of scrimmage. I've been surprised we haven't seen him at least log some kind of rush, whether at getting a direct snap or coming around on a reverse. Get the ball in his hands. This is it. You got five, you got five games, maybe six games left with Jahan Dotson. Then he's going off to the NFL. Mel Kuyper put him in the first round again this month. This is it. Use him. He's the guy I think that you clearly think he, he can beat this Ohio State team. We've seen it last year, and, and he gives you a shot. I just, I've just i been kind of amazed at how little uh, we've seen Jahan Dotson involved as the quarterback thing has tanked. And, and I guess you could say, well, he's a wide receiver, of course, but you know, you got to find a way to make sure Jahan Dotson's getting his touches. And in crucial moments in, actually, in each of the last couple of weeks, he's been absent. The ball's been absent from his hands. Yeah, and I think that's kind of – uh, Jahan Dotson's probably your shooting guard. He's going to be the guy that, that pours in the points for you. Parker Washington's got to be the point guard that, that kind of gets them there and, and gets everybody in the place. You look at what he did over the first four weeks of the season, 23 catches. And since then, he, he had two catches against Indiana, three against Iowa, and four against Illinois. Those four catches against Illinois for 17 yards. And that's, to me, where you're trying to get to this offense is just kind of moving it, moving forward in baby steps and, and first downs are going to do that. So I think Parker Washington's the guy, but I think you make a great point um, that Jahan Dotson, if you're looking to 
perhaps beat Ohio State or you know get uh, get points on the board. Dotson's got to be your star. And let me say, I, I, you know, I love bringing up Tyler Warren, and I've been doing that lately. But let's face it: if you're in a spot where Sean Clifford is immobile and the pocket passing offense is burying you quickly in Columbus, what do you do? I mean, Roberson's not a battering ram. Veyer's not going to go in there and be a battering ram for you. What do you do offensively to mix things up? When they found a spark and they, and they they put a little bit of a scare into Ohio State a couple years ago, it was Will Levis running straight down. It was Journey Brown flashing some speed. You don't have Journey Brown this time around. And you don't have Will Levis. Is the, am I crazy to say that you need to explore using Tyler Horn as a runner, particularly if you have short yard situations, maybe get into that goal line situation? Because if Clifford's a non-factor as a runner, you're removing a major element from your offense. Yeah. I mean, you might be crazy, but yeah, that's certainly something worth thinking about. There's no, because... I mean, there's no other quarterback that is a, there's no quarterback on this roster that I'll just say that is equipped to come in and run the ball straight forward against Ohio State with any kind of success. Well, and you think about what they have at running back and how effective those guys have been or not effective those guys have been. I mean, you, you think about putting two of those guys in the back and playing wildcat, but who has shown you that they're ready to take that load and, and move forward? So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of not really throwing your hands up in the air, but kind of wondering where it's going to come from and, and turning all turning over all stones to see if you can get there. And you mentioned it best QB rating on the team, John Dotson. There you go. All right. That's going to do it for this episode of the Lions 24 seven podcast. Thanks again to Patrick Murphy uh, for bringing us the lowdown on Ohio state. Thanks to producer Lance Glenn. We are back on Thursday with some final thoughts coming off of the Penn state practice field on Wednesday night. Check out our coverage over at lions 247com this afternoon. We're going to have a conversation, uh, a call with Sean Clifford. Uh, so a lot more coming your way up on the site for Sean. I'm Tyler. We'll talk to you soon on the Lions 24 seven podcast. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.